He's so worthy. Stand with me if you're able to. Give him a praise. Hey, can you guys make that just a little bit more jazzy, like that two-step? I want you to just, just, just move a little bit side to side. Is that all right? You all got to wake up. I know it's Sunday morning. That's all right. Don't act like you don't, when the music come on, you just don't want to move a little bit. See, you know, hold on, hold on one second. See, they, we got so many church folk in here. You know, when I was a kid, my folks, they would cut the steppers music on. And you know, my mom was white and my dad was black, but she could step. You know, y'all know. Come on, just I just want you to just move a little bit. Relax. Just, is that okay? All right, all right, all right. Okay, okay, okay. Let's not go too far now. <laughs> oh, man. You know, I think we've lost the reality of entering his gates with thanksgiving rejoicing and dancing before the Lord but I'm excited today because I there is a word God has placed in my belly for the people that have come out today thank you family appreciate you guys don't we love this group right here awesome thank you so much all right well I have my watch on right now and I am mindful of the time so you don't have to be Okay, we don't have much time because it's snowing and it's a Super Bowl game and you guys are rushing me. I feel it already. I haven't even started preaching and you're rushing me. But at the end of today, I don't care who came out here. It's not about numbers for us. It's about God. And, and God is going to reveal something about his character that I don't think many of us have thought about that's going to bless your socks off. And you're going to leave this place saying you should have made it. So open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, you can always look on and read with us on the screen behind me. This is a very common passage, Exodus chapter 3, Moses and the burning bush. How many people have at least heard of this passage before? Just by a show of hands, okay? Look, I'm going to get real relaxed because I know most of the people up in here, all right? So how many people have at least heard of Moses and the burning bush before? All right, now look at someone. Well, keep your hand up. Now look at someone with their hand up and say, you really don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> get ready. You just don't know. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, the word of the Lord says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And this just shows us how far Moses was traveling those 40 years as a shepherd. And it says there, the angel of the Lord, look at someone and say the angel of the Lord, appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So Moses, in his own thoughts, his own subjective opinion, says, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why that bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And then God says, don't you come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. I'm so glad God is concerned about us. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses looks at God and says, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, it don't really matter who you are. That's not even the point of it, because I will be with you. And this will be a sign that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, excuse number two, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they asked me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say, sell that to someone. Say, I am who I am. And you're to say to them, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And listen, this is my name forever. Uh, We're still living in forever. By which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. How many people realize we're to remember him by this name that he declared thousands of years ago? Amen. Lord, we bless you today. We thank you for your unchanging word. How it transforms our lives and shapes our existence. And God... The individuals that have come here today, uh, they've come through different types of circumstances, the snow and the weather and God, but they've come here. And so, Lord, I pray that you would honor their perseverance by blessing them with your word, that they would have ears to hear in this moment. And God, that you would flesh out the reality of who you are, the name of God. We bless you today. Bless your people. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Well, you can have a uh, a seat in the presence of the Lord. I could have called this this message anything. I decided to title it The God Who Speaks. Uh, I wanted to start off with a joke, but I don't have time because it's Super Bowl Sunday and it's snowing. I don't have time. No, don't don't shout me down. I don't have time to hype this up. I just got to jump into the message. Is that all right? No, I didn't have a joke for real. See, this day is just like any other normal day for the shepherd Moses. It's no different. He's out there shepherding the flock, and he's traveling, the Bible shows us, very far from Jethro's house in Midian from his base. He was probably like any good shepherd. At this point, he's 40 years along in his shepherding business. So he's going to go to the high land where the grass is a little bit more fertile. So he gets all the way over by Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, And on this regular day, like any other day, he looks up and he sees this bush that's burning. And and he, he just stops and he sort of like, he just stares at it. And he realizes that even though it's on fire, this wouldn't have been that uncommon of an appearance for a shepherd. I mean, he's starting fires every night. 
But he sees this fire and it's burning, but there's something different about the fire because the bush is not being burned up. It's on fire, but it's just like a fire on it, but it's not being consumed. What's interesting about God is he loves to show up in the mundane of our existence. And oftentimes, and I'm just, this is just for free today, a basic principle of God, God showing up in your life all the time. But sometimes we don't take the time to stop and look, do we? He's showing up in all types of situations, all types of things. But in this story, he shows up in fire in a bush. Now, we've gone through the first two chapters of Exodus, and who's the main character? God's always the main character. But this chapter shifts because now the main actor for the first time, who is God, decides in this chapter he's going to speak. We should get excited about God showing up and God speaking. He speaks. And when we're reading this text, church, we always have to ask the question, whenever, whatever passage you're reading, you always have to ask yourself, what is this passage telling me about the God I serve? Moses, Mo, Moses ain't special. Okay, all right, for, you know what? You all keep staring at me. Moses is not more special than you or me. Have you not read Joshua? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, Joshua, get yourself up and go do what I told you. The only thing that made Moses special at all is that God showed up. The only thing that will ever be special about your life is that God decides to use it. It could be small. It could be great. At the end of the day, I just want to say, God, did I do every well done, my good. The only thing that matters in your life is if God decides to show up and use it. That should be the prayer you pray every day you wake up. Moses is a nobody, but God, the main actor, decides to show up in a bush. And the first thing for everyone that's taking notes, the first thing we find out about God in Exodus chapter 3 is this. Whenever you see God, you must proceed with caution. Whenever you see God, you must proceed with caution. Write that down if you're taking notes. You must proceed with caution. See, when God, let's start off with this this concept because the very first words of God comes to us in verse 4 and 5, and the angel of the Lord shows up. Now, I don't want anyone to get confused about who the angel of the Lord is. The angel of the Lord is God himself. Say, the angel is God. Whenever God wants to show up to humans, he'll use this person called the angel of the Lord. Whenever God wants to communicate with a person and do so in a way that will not completely overwhelm you and make your heart pop out of your chest, he clothes himself as the angel of the Lord. Because if you were to stand in the very presence of Almighty God in all of his glory, see, And in this moment, as the angel of the Lord, he begins to manifest himself as a fire in the middle of a bush. Because God, if you haven't noticed already, he loves to reveal himself as fire. 
You know, in Genesis 15, we have that great passage where God is making, cutting this covenant with Abraham, and he passes through these animal parts that are severed as this smoking fire pot moving through, and we see the fire of the Lord. Or you can read further in Exodus chapter 13, the children of Israel are in the wilderness as a cloud by day and a what? A pillar of fire by night, and in Exodus 19, on the top of Mount Sinai, God descends in fire, and we see on the top of that mountain billows of smoke just billowing up into the sky. He loves to show up in fire. Elijah, as he's standing there with all those prophets of Baal, he says, the only true God will answer us with fire. And then you come into the New Testament in the, in the upper room. It says, as tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit began to descend on them. And you wonder why the writer of Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. He loves showing up as, fi- as fire. Fire is the sign and the symbol of God's very presence. The fire of God. And Moses is there by the bush and he looks up and all of a sudden he realizes God is there as the angel of the Lord in this bush of fire. You guys realize that God was showing up to talk to Moses. Okay? I want you to track with me just for a second. Who showed up? God showed up because he wanted to have a conversation with Moses. And he lures Moses to him by his curiosity. So God shows up. He wants to have a conversation with him. And he lures him by this fire And when Moses comes by, God says, stop coming. He shows up to talk to him. When he starts noticing God and coming, God says, you need to proceed with caution. Don't you come any closer. This is a a paradox. God, you want to come talk to me, but when I notice you and I turn to you, you tell me to stop. I shouldn't come any closer. You come to meet me, but yet you won't let me get close. You come so near, but yet you want me to keep my distance. Listen, church, there needs to be a trembling distance even in God's nearness. You're not tracking with me just yet. Moses didn't, when God showed up, Moses didn't say, oh, look how neat and how awesome and great this moment is like we all do in church. God is here. It's so awesome and it's so great. No, he hides his face in the ground. He says, please don't kill me in this moment. He was afraid to even gaze at God. Well, pastor, you know, we're New Testament folk. You know, and, you know, we have a fuller revelation of who God is and, and how God operates. So what, what happened to Moses was just an elementary principle that we found in Scripture. But we approach God's throne of grace with great freedom. He is with us. He loves us, and he's my friend. And my sin, he just turns a blind eye to all of that because his love is so overwhelming. And when I'm in his presence, I just start dancing because he's okay with all of me and all that I am. But I wonder if the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever is not the same God that made Moses shake and tremble in his presence. Church, I would be off if I'd never told you this, but Moses' response to God is not elementary or primitive. 
but it's primary. Have you ever read when John was on the Isle of Patmos who walked with Jesus, the risen Lord? And when he sees Jesus in all of his glory, the Bible says that he fell down as though he were a dead man. See, this text teaches us something. We need to be concerned if this trembling reverence is missing from our lives. There's something other about God. Can I talk to you just for a moment? We all want more of God. But if God ever showed up and used you for his purposes, there would be a trembling in your heart. If you prayed for someone and you saw the glory of God fleshing itself out through you and that person comes back with a testimony, God has healed me. Because the reality is this, the nearer he gets to you, the more your heart should start to beat. If, you don't, if you're not trembling, it's because he's probably pretty far away from you. But that not that the state we all live in? We like keeping him at a safe distance because if he gets a little bit too close, what would that mean for my life? I'm just going to pretend like he doesn't notice this is happening because if he ever used you the way he wanted to use you, it would make your heart stop. See, there should be a sobering weight to our worship on Sundays. Lord, you're using me somehow that dead people are being awakened by the gospel message coming off of my lips and they are, they are shifting from a place of deadness to a place of eternal life and you would use me for something like that. Lord, I should be trembling at this reality. Oh, how many people want God to use them? Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Because if he starts using you, you will, you will come face to face with his otherness and his majesty and his power and his holiness and his reality. See, this is how the biblical writer said we have to understand the thought of rejoicing with trembling. All right, okay, all right, okay. Y'all with me? Y'all okay? Like, I don't know if I want to be used by God right now. The first point, proceed with caution. The second point, if you're taking notes, is that this God always has a people. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He says, I'm the God of your father, Moses. I'm the God of your kinfolk, Moses, your mom, your dad, etc. The God of the patriarchs and the God of all my people. See, in Mark chapter 12... Verse 26, turn your Bibles there if you're with me. Mark chapter 12. You just got to hear Jesus say it because Jesus always says it's so matter of fact. Mark chapter 12. If you're there, say I'm there. Mark chapter 12, and we're just going to read from verse 
uh, 26. See, Jesus is here debating with the Sadducees. They didn't believe in any resurrection from the dead. They also didn't believe that after you died, you would survive after death. And Jesus is in a debate with these guys, and they're talking about marriage. They're trying to trick him up. And Jesus says in verse 26, he says, Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, okay, he's, he's, he's referencing what we're reading today, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are sorely, badly, unbelievably mistaken. Je- this is Jesus talking. Haven't you read Exodus chapter 3 where God says he's the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob? He's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. That's Exodus Verse 6 of Exodus, what, what is Jesus trying to say? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dead for a very long time. In this passage in Exodus, Abraham has been dead for 600 years. Look at someone say 600 years. They are dead. It, they're not walking around. They are dead. But listen, God is still the God of each one of them, even though they are dead. These are the words of Jesus, but he's referencing this passage. I am in the present tense, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am right now the God. God is not the God of dead people. He doesn't, he's not ruling over some bones laying dust in the ground. I'm not the God. I am presently the God of these people because even though they've passed on through death, they are still existing and I am still Lord over them. Where's Miss Jackson at? Where is she at? I know she's here somewhere. Miss Jackson, her father went to be with the Lord. God is not the God of dead people. The resurrection had hope even back then. He is the God of the living, not the God of dead people. And Jesus is implying, based upon his argument, that their bodies as well will be resurrected on the great day when he decides to part the sky and enter in and shift all of humanity into his glorious kingdom. And and God enters into Moses' life and he says, I am the God of Abraham. And I am the God of Isaac and Jacob. But I want to turn that around and ask you this question. What does it mean to be the God of? What does that really mean to be, say, I am their God. I am the God of this. Of is a very interesting word because over here we see our worship pastor, Joey, right? Awesome man of God, worship leader. Uh, he's, he's checking stats right now on, on the football game, but he's still with us. Well, Joey, Joey has written, uh, well, he has a CD that he has put out, okay? And if you were to have that CD in your hand, you would say, well, that is the music of Joey. But then also, when you walk up here and you see him playing, he'll have charts of other singers. But if you saw those charts laying there, you would say, oh, well, that's, jo- that's the music of Joey. And as he gets on his piano, he sings, he says, our God is greater And then you might go home and say, did you hear the music of Joey? 
And then you get into his car, and you're in his car with him driving home, and he turns on Pandora to a station that he has set, and you say, "Did you? this is great. I heard the music of Joey in his car. See, so when we hear that God is the God of, what, what are you describing? Are you describing some Middle Eastern God? God, if you were to describe yourself as the God of me, how would you describe yourself? How many people want clarity on how God would describe himself? In Genesis chapter 17, we have the awe-inspiring passage where God decides to enter into a covenant with Abraham. He's going to give him the land. He says, you will be the father of many nations. You will be fruitful and multiply. And in Genesis 17, 7, listen to this. I will establish my covenant to you as an everlasting covenant between me and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And listen to it. To be your God, Genesis 17, 7, and the God of your descendants after you. I'm establishing a covenant to be your God. What does, that, what does that mean? This is a statement not about Abraham. It's a statement about who? This means this, that God, he binds himself in covenant with Abraham, and it means this. Now, you got to get this, okay, because this is going somewhere, and when we get to the end of this, you might stand up and, and have a, a fresh picture of who God is. This means that God says, I will be God for you. That means everything that God should be and would be, I will be to you. Everything that you think God, that God should be and would be, and you know he should do, I will be that for you. See, if God promises something like that forever from generation to gen, there is nothing that can destroy or sever or stop or limit his ability to be God in all of my life and in all of your life. There is nothing that can destroy the relationship of God with you. Nothing can sever it. Here's why, because it's built on the nature of God, not on the nature of you. And God is, God is an eternal being. His promises are yes and amen. He is eternal. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 8, he begins to ponder who this God is. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Because he's above all of that. See, that's the same language that's used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when it says the dead in Christ shall rise forth. The dead in Christ, they're already dead. Yeah, but they're dead in Christ because when you enter into Christ, even though you, you die and this mortal flesh it, it, it dies and goes into the ground, because you have knit yourself with an eternal being and entered into a covenant of faith, there is something about his, his eternal nature that is bound to us. That should make somebody shout. That's all right. You're not there yet. That's fine. We're going to get there. See? 
he can sustain people even into death. If you read Exodus chapter 3 too fast, you'll, you'll miss that when you stop living, you don't die. You will live on eternally. So you must proceed with caution and realize that God has a covenant with his people. The third point for those taking notes is God has a lot of love for us. Verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. It's as if the text is saying to us, God knows all of our suffering. You can turn there later, but Isaiah 63, 9, speaking of the Exodus, says this. Now listen, it says in all of their distress, God speaking, he says, I was distressed. Isaiah 63, 9. See, because God enters into the sufferings of his people. This is not some God who's off, way off in the great by and by, that's so transcendent, so out there that he's just unaware of what's going on in our lives. I'm excited that God enters in. He always, from Exodus all the way down to, he enters into the afflictions and the trials of his people. And when we are distressed, he is distressed. That's why when we get to John chapter 1 and it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And then later on it says, and that God came and tabernacled amongst us. He took on our flesh. We shouldn't be surprised. When we read Philippians 2 and we realize that God in all of his glory didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a slave like us. He's the type of God that always, he came down and he gets beaten and bruised and tempted and hated and mocked all for our sake. We have a Savior who loves identifying with our struggles. That's why the writer of Hebrews says we have a high priest who can identify with us, sympathize with all we're going through. You should say, well, I already knew he could sympathize because I see it in Exodus chapter 3. So whenever you are walking through a valley in your life, the great God who shows up in fire is very well acquainted with your suffering. Now I want to unpack this last point because this, if you, if you grasp this before you leave here, it'll change the way you think about God. God has a people, proceed with caution, but God also has a name. He has a name. See, Moses is filled with all types of objections in verse 11. Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And God says, it doesn't really matter who you are. What matters is that I am with you. Look at someone and say, it really don't matter who you are. What matters is that God is with you. Don't get too serious. It don't matter who you are. Some married folks were looking at each other. It don't matter who you are. You need more of God with you right now. We are arguing on the way to church. You really need to get it together. And then Moses says, well, that's great, but he comes up with a second objection to, to God. 
So if I go to the sons of Israel, though, God, and they ask me, who sent me? That's when, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I, what, what, what's his name? What is his name? Who sent me? What's his name? Uh, what in the world am I going to say to them then, God? See, this question is an interesting one. What will I tell them your name is? It's an interesting one because in the Old Testament and in biblical terms, they're not asking if his name is William or George or Ron or Sylvester. They're not just saying, God, just tell me your name. The the name in that culture was an identification of his character. Who should I tell him is sending me? What is your name? How would you define your character? My name is Moses, and his name was his character. The thing that, the, the very thing that defined his life, drawn out of what? His name meant to draw out. He draws out, drawing people out of Israel. See, Ichabod, when the glory departed, his name meant the glory departed. Nabal, whose wife married David, her na- his name meant fool because he got killed. Up. God killed him because he was just a fool. You know, all of these, Jacob was a trickster. He's always tricking his brother. The thing that defines who you are is your name. This is one of the most powerful questions ever posed to God. God, how do you define your character and your nature? What is your name? And God says, tell them I am who I am. Or it could be translated, tell them I will be who I will be. Now, see, that's because you're thinking like a Westerner. You're thinking like out in the West. But let me unpack this so I can explain to you what God said about himself. This is an amazing text because whenever we think of that word, I am who I am, there's two things that come up. The first thing is existence. You know, I am who I am. He's always existed. He's the alpha, the omega. There is no start. There is no end. He just is. That's Hebrews 11. If you want to have faith, you got to believe that I exist and that I am a rewarder of those who seek me. I am. So it speaks first to existence, but I would challenge you and say there's another way that this word speaks. Because if I, if I said, Pastor Bill, are you at church today? He would say, I am. Well, no, I mean, are you here? Yeah, well, I am. The other way you can look at I am is this presence. Presence. Where y'all, why don't y'all come to freedom? I am here. I am present. Now, I want you to get the context of this because maybe you've thought about this passage for years, but I want you to get the context because in verse 12, you have to go back to develop the context of verse 14 and 15. In verse 12, he says this. God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. It's an anticipatory statement. I will be present with you. So you have to let verse 12 help you translate verse 14 and verse 15. I will be with you is the context. I will be present with, but God, who, what am I, how am I going to do it? I'm just nobody. Well, I will be present with you. The emphasis is on is God being 
with them. This is not to deny his existence. He still exists, but the stress here is on his presence. He is with them. Look at someone and say, he is with us. If God were to define himself, if God were to give himself a nickname, if God were to sit back and tell you, you want to know exactly who I am from every generation forever and ever to be remembered as my name, he would say, I am the God who is with you. Can I unpack it just a little bit more? See, verse 14, verse 12 and verse 14 in the Hebrew text, the language is identical. It's the same. It's, I will be with you. So it's almost better to translate the first part of verse 14 as this, not I am who I am, but I will be present is what I will be. Write that down. I will be present is what I will be. And in, and in the second part of verse 14, he goes first. He says, well, who should I say to him? Tell them I am has sent me or tell them I will be present has sent me to you. All right, y'all got to stay just for a moment. We only got a minute left. Is that all right? I will be present has sent me with you. And then in verse 15, he encompasses the whole thing and says, call me Yahweh or the Lord of hosts. Yahweh is sort of the, the, the just all of these ideas rolled into his nickname. Yahweh will be shorthand for all three. In other words, I will be present in whatever way you need me to be God is compressed in one word called Yahweh. Hold on, don't clap just yet. Somebody, the lights are going on with somebody right now. See, Yahweh is a, is a nickname. How many people are texting? You know, you know how to text. Well, my, my, my daughter, she, she's got, uh, somehow she's connected to uh, the email, so she sends me emails all the time. And, and, you know, they're shorthand for email. So if somebody texts you and they put SMH, what do they mean? Shaking my head. Or LOL. Or BFF. Or BRB. TMI. T-T-Y-L, R-O-T-F-L-M-B-O. Okay, see, the, see the, the college folk got me. Rolling on the floor, laughing my behind off. Okay, you didn't know if you could say that, that's all right. See, we take these longer ideas and we compress them into something short. See, the name Yahweh encompasses a broad idea. God, tell me your name. My name is Yahweh, which means I am and I will be present to be every single thing you need me to be in the moment that you need it. For all generations and for all times, my name will be declared Yahweh. Why do you think all of Israel won't say his name? Because his name encompasses the fact that he's here. The trembling and the reverence must be there because he declares, who am I? I am the individual that is present with you right now. 
just like I was standing there in the fire of Moses as he was walking through a trial where he didn't think he could make it. All he needed to know is that I will be God wherever you go. As you stand before Pharaoh, guess what? I'm there. As all of the weight of the world is on your shoulders, guess what? You just need to remember my name, that I am present with you to be God for you, for whatever is going on in your life. Church, he wanted us to remember his name. And for you and for me, his name is Yahweh. And as you walk through your life, he will be present to be all that you need in the very moment that you need it. And I don't know about you, but that's a truth I can walk through life with. Stand with me and let's rejoice. Hallelujah. God, he is with us. He is with us. God, I thank you, Lord, for every person. Just lift your hands in, in awe of his presence. God, right now, let the revelation of who you are begin to saturate our minds that you have defined yourself for all of eternity and generation to generation as the God who will be present. Whew. You mean, God, as I'm, as I'm dealing with this health issue, I'm still present. You mean, God, as I'm dealing with the loss of this or the loss of that, I'm still present. You mean, as I'm dealing with the financial struggles of life, God, I'm still present. As you're walking through and your kids are doing this and doing that, God says, I'm still present. As you're wondering what the next week and the next year, God says, I will be present then as well. And he declares of himself his character. And and you have to hear me. Let the spirit of God, let this resonate in your heart right now. Every step you take, every moment of your life, God will be there. And he declares to us that he will be God in your life. Everything God needs to be, he will be present and he will be it in the time of your need. Lord, we turn to your presence right now with reverent adoration. And we begin to declare just the greatness of our God, the worthiness, the faithfulness, the one who is so faithful that even if we lack faith, God, you can't deny who you are. Lord, I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you're with us. Lord, it's your presence, Jesus. More of your presence, Jesus. Lord, your nearness. word is for someone today you maybe thought you were walking this life alone you found yourself in a closet by yourself you feel like you're on an island but I want you to know you're never by yourself God is present with us Lord we turn to you now Holy Spirit we turn to you now and we say fill these vessels with your glory fill these vessels with your praise God fill these presents 